Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again after a beautiful weekend away in Clear Lake, the Hildebrand's happy place. Last time I was with you, here a couple weeks ago, I believe the stage was just full of VBS stuff. And I, I had the joy of being a part of VBS with, uh, boy, we had about 130, 140 kids there over those uh, two weeks. Had a lot of fun. Some of you, you're in the room. And uh, one of the things the kids and the adults were learning about uh, VBS was God sightings, we called them. Do you know what a God sighting is? Kids? Come on. Kids that were, any kids that were at VBS that want to tell us what is a God sighting? Everything? Everything's a God sighting? Well, you might be onto something there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, every day they learned about God sightings. And, and essentially, what, how we define that was you know, we can't see God the way we see one another, but we can see what God does around us. Right? And that, those are God sightings. We can see the works of God around us. And so, the theme of VBS, it was called Stellar. I'm kind of slow. I didn't even realize Stellar was the word that meant star, even though my favorite movie is Interstellar, great movie. Um, but it was a space theme, so we learned about planets, about the rings around Neptune. That was cool. How, how a lot of these planets have all these, uh, not just Earth has a moon, but all these other planets have, have sometimes many moons that orbit around them as those planets orbit around the sun, and we learned about the sun. The sun is pretty wild. Do you know how many Earths can fit in the sun? Any guesses? Is that a million? Yeah, pretty close actually. One and a half million Earths would fit within the sun. That's pretty wild. We learned about Halley's Comet, and uh, we're going to see Halley's Comet. It comes every 76 years. The next time is in 2061. I did the math. You know how old I'm going to be? 80. 80. The next time we see that. Some of you, you're going to be dead. Okay. Not some, a lot. <laughs> Just to be honest. And I mean, hey, we're not people that shy away from that here, are we? We don't shy away from death, right? For those who know Jesus Christ, it just brings us into life. So some of you, are gonna, you're going to be rejoicing with Jesus while 80-year-old Rusty, God willing, is enjoying Haley's Comet for the first time. So we learned about a whole lot of cool stuff, God sightings. Essentially, the kids were doing during VBS what David was doing 3,000 years ago when he wrote the words that we, we know as Psalm 19. And so if you've been with us in the summer, you know that we've just been going through some of the Psalms. There's 150 of them, and, and we've just kind of been really dipping our toe in all that there is in this kind of these glorious songs and poems about God. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at part of Psalm 19, where David is talking about these God sightings. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 19, and we'll read it, and you can kind of keep it open on your lap because we'll, we'll be kind of uh, going back to it through the morning. And as we read this, you're going to, uh, it'll be very clear that it has two parts, two halves. And, and as I was preparing about midweek, I thought, really, this is kind of one of those two-sermon psalms, and, and you need to be thankful, otherwise this would have been an hour-long sermon this morning, okay? 
So I decided midweek, you know what, there, there's, there's too much here to try to do it justice in one week, so you're going to get the second half next week. We're going to read the whole thing. You're going to see David is talking about the fact that God reveals Himself, reveals His glories in two very different but related ways. And so, uh, let's read it together, and then we're just going to kind of circle back and look at just the first six verses this morning. So, these are the words of David written about nine or about uh, 3,000 years ago. He says this, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now we see a shift. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All right. So you probably picked up on those two very different halves where David talks about uh, the fact that God reveals himself to us in different ways. And so this morning, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6. And really, the big idea in those verses is that God reveals his glory in creation, in all that he has made. That word glory there. We just don't really use that word a lot out in the world. What does it mean that creation reveals God's glory? Glory really is just kind of the beauty of God's character. You know, when something has glory, like something that shines, right? It has this eminence that, that comes out of it, that it looks brilliant and beautiful. And so, God's glory is really just the beauty of God's character that we see in different ways. David says here that we see the beauty of God's character. We see His glory in the sky, in the heavens, in all that He has made. They declare, they proclaim, they pour forth speech. And it's interesting how he um, describes it. It says, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. So they don't use words, but they have words. They're voiceless, but they have a voice. They're speechless, but creation in the sky speaks. And what is it speaking? What is it giving voice to? He says it is giving voice to the glory of its maker. 
the glory of God just by being what God created it to be, just by the stars in the heavens shining. They are speaking to us something about God. Now, David, he would have known about the night sky, right? Because he spent a lot of time outside, unlike yours truly. I like air-conditioned spaces, preferably in front of 80-inch TVs. Uh, But David, he was a shepherd. He spent most of his time outside uh, in all sorts of weather, all seasons, during the day, during the night, right? We remember the story of Jesus' birth. There was the star that led the wise men there, and we remember the shepherds there tending their sheep at night. These were guys that knew what it looked like to spend hours and hours living under the stars. And you can just imagine, you know, what has caused him to write this. It's just hours and hours of being there with his sheep as they're maybe sleeping or munching on. And he's just looking up and he's staring at and he's studying the sky. And and he marvels at, at what he sees above him. And to David, what he sees is the glory of the one who made it. And you know what? We know better than David knew. We know a lot more about what's up there than David knows. And, and instead of that actually decreasing the glory that the, that the, that the heavens speak, it actually has increased it. Because we don't just see from Earth's vantage point kind of dimly these stars. I mean, we can see deep, deep into space incredible things that he never, never saw. And so we see images from like, you know, the, the Hubble telescope. And I, I think I have a picture up there, Christian, if you want to throw that up there. Some of this we can see with our naked eye at night, if you know, if, without uh, the, the pollution of, of uh, light pollution. And uh, this is probably like a picture taken from some um, telescope or something, the Hubble, maybe telescope deep in space. Just look at that. Look at that. No, I'm serious. Look at it. Isn't that amazing? Couldn't you just stare at that in wonder? And there are so many other pictures just like that. When you look at that, isn't there a part of you that goes, why is this here? How did this get... I mean, you you can't look at that and not ask the question, how? Who? Why? Um, You know how many stars there are in the Milky Way, our galaxy? 100 billion stars, give or take a few. 100 billion in our galaxy. Do you know how many galaxies there are? Two two trillion. And they say, if, if... the average galaxy has 100 billion stars and there's 2 trillion galaxies. They estimate there are 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. 200 sextillion actually is what that's called. Isn't that incredible? If creation is a canvas on which God displays His glory, then just like thinking of a paint, you, you can't think of a painting without thinking of the painter, so you can't really think of creation properly without thinking of its creator. And this is what David is saying. He's saying it tells us something about who God is and what is it speaking to us. 
creation reveals that there is a creator. You know, I, I've watched, maybe you have too, like I've watched many, many debates, atheists, Christians, or um, people have different perspectives on God and science and all sorts of debates, and really intelligent people, but every single time, and, every, and, I'm, and I'm not highly intelligent, you know that. I mean, some people, they're way more intelligent, but I, I have this sneaking suspicion because I, I, I always find them bumping up against this question that no one has ever seemed to posit a credible answer for. How did it get here? Not how long did it take, how did it, did it evolve, how did it get here? Why? I haven't kind of found any like really honest, credible answer to that other than there is a God who made it. A God with the power to create all of that out of nothing. A lot of people, they just kind of feel that, don't they intuitively when they look at that, they ask that question, how did this get here? How could all this be here unless... Somebody put it here. Something cannot come out of, uh, you know, has to come from somewhere. Where did it come from? This isn't kind of a new debate, a new kind of question or discussion. Paul was talking about it back in Romans chapter 1. He says this in Romans chapter 1 verses, let's look at 18 to 20. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of, God's in, uh, uh, be, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Essentially, what he's saying is because there is creation, God has left us evidence of himself for all without exception to see. Creation gives us evidence that there is a creator, or at least, at least begs the question is there a creator? It reveals, he says, God's eternal power. I mean, you can't help looking, especially at the sky and these pictures of the universe, and, and just being overcome, if you were to think of it, of the power of God. As the Scriptures tell us, He spoke it into being. He spoke it, and by His Word, by His will, it's there. What's there? The universe. Do you know how big the universe is? Go back to that, that next picture there. Um, the biggest star, I said there's 200 sextillion stars, roughly. That little one up there, can you see it? It's the sun. The biggest star they've ever found is U.Y. Scooty, it's called. I think I'd be, if I was ever a rapper, that'd be my rapper name. U.Y. Scooty. You see the sun? And then these other stars, and then it's kind of just along this little curve. That's UI Scooty, right? That's the biggest star we've found so far. 
If that star was at the center of our solar system, the edge of UI Scuti would go all the way to Jupiter. Do you know how many suns can fit in UI Scuti? Any guesses? Five billion. Five billion suns. And God spoke it. And it's all there. How big is God? If that doesn't blow your mind, give your head a shake, right? So, the universe, the size of the universe, it's, it's, it's massive. Um, the, the furthest that we've seen so far from Earth is 13.5 billion light years away. You know what a light year is? It, it's the distance that light travels in a year, in 365 days. So the light gets from the sun to the earth in seven minutes. The light is the fastest thing we know. So that light now goes for a whole year. That's one light year. One, one, um, one light year is 3.46 trillion kilometers. And so far what we've seen, the, the, the biggest or the furthest astrological object we've seen away from the earth with our technology is, um, is 13.5 billion light years away. And, and that's not, when I say billion layers, I'm, I'm not making a commentary on the, 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 the age of the earth. I'm not saying it's that old or it's young. I'm not saying anything about that, right? Because however God miraculously made the earth, he just made it. And however it was when he made it, that's how it was. Whether it, it was, whether it had the appearance of age, he makes Adam, who's a man, and Eve, who's a woman, but they had the appearance of being 42 like me, you know, the prime, the peak of physical conditioning. Or whatever, so does he make the star with the light already emanating from the star? It says he makes the light before he even makes the star. So, I mean, God is not constrained. Miraculous power is miraculous power. You can't really explain it, right? So to say something is, when we're talking about it, it's, it's not a commentary on the age of anything. It's a commentary on distance, how big the universe is, right? And how big is it? The furthest we've seen out there is 127.71 sextillion kilometers, and who knows how much further it goes than that. And God sees it all. He's there. And he made it. You know, when we... So, so when, when David says, the skies, the heavens proclaim the, the glory of God, the beauty of his character, one of the things it proclaims is his power. And I've heard people say, I mean, if, if all of this is real, God cares about us, and the... How can the universe be so big? Why is it so big? Why? Because we, well, we used to think maybe we were at the center of it. Now we know we're not at the center of it. We're just this little blip. Why? Why, why, why would God be so extravagant and make something so much bigger than he needed to be? Because he wanted to show us how big he is. Because he can. He wants us to know with a shadow of a doubt, he is powerful. He is great, not only in the bigness, but the complexity of what He has made, even in the smallness of the universe. The smallest object we've found so far is called a quark. And I did some reading, and then my head hurt. <laughs> this is why I'm not a scientist. They spent $5 billion making the Hadron Collider underneath the earth in Switzerland to try to find the smallest particle. A quark is really small. They don't even understand how it works. 
It's smaller than 43 billion billionths of a centimeter. That's 2,000 times smaller than a proton, which is 60,000 times smaller than the radius of a hydrogen atom, which itself is 40 times smaller than the radius of a DNA double helix, which itself is a million times smaller than a grain of sand. And that's, that's what God used to make all this stuff. And David had no idea. You know, the more we learn using, you know, the mind and the tools God has given us to advance in science, it doesn't decrease the glory of God in creation. It, it, it magnifies God's glory as we understand how comp- the genius and the power of God out of nothing to make this. Wow. And not just His power to create it, but God's power to sustain it. David kind of talks about this in verses 4 to 6. He talks about the sun. He says, In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And it's talking about the sun rising and setting. And, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that the sun revolves around the earth, just kind of giving the human perspective. Just like when I say in the morning the sun rises in the west. I'm not making an astrological comment. I know it doesn't actually rise. We're revolving around it, but we still use those words. That's how we describe it because that's just our experience of the thing, right? But what he's noticed is just the regularity, the rhythm of everything. It happens. It's reliable. And, and the seasons, um, you know, he'll talk about this in Psalm 104 when David says, so he sa- it says that he, God, set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night. All the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to work to their labor until evening. How many are your works, God? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. And often he'll remark on just the way that God sustains what he has made, not just creating it, but sustaining it in this reliable pattern. David, when he looked at the world, he saw the established order, and he said, God is a God of order. God is a God of who is reliable. Because that, that was revolutionary in that day because they thought, they thought everyone, all the nations around, the Greeks, the Romans, they thought those little things in the sky that twinkled were gods. And if you angered them, they would throw lightning bolts down and they would do these things and it was unpredictable. There was no regularity. Everything was kind of ramming based on the, the, the whims of the gods. But he came to know that God is not like that. Creator God, the God of order, reliability, who set this all up and established this order. That's who God reveals Himself to be. We might call those things the laws of science, and that's why science really was propelled out of kind of the Christian worldview that God is a God of order who made things that, that are ordered. God is not a random God. God is reliable. He is unfailing in His character. The heavens declare the glories of God. There's this quote by C.S. Lewis. Um, He said, uh, Nature never taught me that there exists a God of glory, 
and of infinite witness. It didn't convince him that there was a God just because there was nature. He said, I had to learn that in other ways, but nature gave the word glory a meaning for me. I still do not know where else I could have found one. I do not see how the fear of God could have ever meant to me anything but the lowest prudential efforts to be safe if I had never seen certain ominous ravines and unapproachable crags. I'm not sure what a crag is. Like a rocky outcrop? A mountain? Sure. Um, in Ozerny, maybe, up there? Rocky, jagged, kind of fits. Yeah. Cold, heartless. <laughs> Disrespectful. You know, that's sort of <laughs> Love you, Craig. Um, essentially, what he's saying is, um, reading about glory never really gave me kind of the full sense of what it is. I had to see it. I had to experience it. I had to be at the base of a mountain and behold this massive, jagged, rocky mountain. And then I could feel, I could sense what fear was. I don't know if you've ever been at the foot of a mountain. I grew up in the foothills of Alberta. I know what he's talking about here. Because we would camp every summer at Mount Kid Campground in Kananaskis country. And it was beautiful. It was majestic. But the mountains are different. You know how different like, places you go give you a different vibe? Right? And isn't that the beautiful thing about God's creativity? Like he could have made the whole world just one big Saskatchewan. Right? But he loves us too much for that. Like he made a whole diverse world. And... You know, so I grew up every summer going to the mountains. And, and you know, I would actually, I, I don't know if you feel like this, feel like actually trembling a little bit at, the, at kind of the foot of a mountain. You look up and you kind of almost, and, and, it's, and it's, it's almost a bit scary. And, and I'm a guy that naturally is a little fear, afraid of heights. I'm a prairie kid. So, you know, I've hiked in the mountains. And, and when you're hiking in the mountains, it's different than hiking at Birds Hill Provincial Park. You have to be so careful about your footing. You have to be aware because this is a dangerous place. If you don't take this seriously, if you don't have respect for the mountain, you can die. And so I, I know what he's talking about there. Beholding Mount Kid kind of gives me a sense of a taste of, of fear, of, of a healthy respect that finds its fullness in the greater thing, the one of greater glory, God. We can learn that in nature. We can feel it. And then, you know, I go to a place like Clear Lake, like we were this last weekend, and it's different than the mountains. So I grew up, our, our, our family's place was Mount Kidd at the base of the mountain. My family's place now is Clear Lake, the authentic Edwesegaming. Right? Every year, that's where we go, and we love it, and we get gelato from Chocolate Fox, and we get pizza from Sporties, and we just do all the same things, and we love it, and we go to Deep Bay. What? What? Coffee at Poor Michael's. We went to Poor Michael's Emporium, too. These are plugs on here. We, sh we should be compensated for this online here. Yeah, Poor Michael's is a really neat place, that bookstore there. It's, if you haven't been clear, like, go. Like, this is in Manitoba. It's amazing. But we go to Deep Bay. Deep Bay is our favorite spot. It's this protected little cove out of the wind, and it's always calm. And you look down the length of the lake, and it is, um, it is serene. 
And we go in the evening when all the kids with their, you know, families with their snotty nose kids are gone. And it's quiet. And it's peaceful. And for me, you just, it, it, it gives me this, it, it, it proclaims the glory of God. It gives me some sense, feel some sense of the peace of God in that setting. A taste. I asked my kids actually at Killer Lake, like we were talking about Psalm 19. And I asked them kind of how they see God's glory in nature. One of them, it might have been Annika, talked about how God just provides for all these little creatures. Maybe she was riffing off of Jesus, plagiarist. Because you might think, yeah, really, can we find these things? Is that, is that really there? We're just kind of, are we supposed to? Are we supposed to hear these things in the world that God has made around us? Well, look at what Jesus says, right? Matthew chapter 5, what are the verses up there, 26 to 30? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. He, he calls them to look at what's around them. Look at creation. Look, look, open your eyes. They do not, these birds, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You? you of little faith? Oh yeah, God is really big. You know, he sees what's happening on stars we haven't even discovered yet. He's there. But he also sees the little bird, little chickadee, and the little chipmunk, and there's ways in which he's even caring and sustaining the creation of the smallest creatures. And so David, when he says that all of creation declares the glory of God, I, th I think he's saying in creation... We, we get a sense of God's, both His immensity and His imminency, His bigness and His nearness. How do you see God's glory in creation? Really, one thing I want you to do when you leave here and you go into your week is, is I want you to bring fresh eyes to the world around you. And I want you to listen and look for God's communication of the beauty of His character in the world that he has made. Because nature is kind of the prep school. It's the academy that prepares our hearts to find joy in God. It stirs our affections for him. Because you know, you are uniquely designed as a human being to behold the beauty of God in creation. Did you know that? That's a part of what makes you a human. You're designed for that. When David looks to the sky, he finds his heart stirred. He finds himself praising God. He finds himself thanking God. He finds himself asking of the God who could make all of this. His affection for God is stirred when he looks up to the heavens in a way that his sheep would have never done, right? Anyone see the northern lights around here the last couple of months? Remember in the winter there was one night, and then was it the spring or summer? I've never in my whole life ever seen northern lights like that before. I've, I've seen them kind of in the faint, but it was like right over our head. Did you see that? And you know, you know what we did? Maybe like you did. I, it was a bit late at night. 
Erica, come here. Annika, Pippa, Britta, some of them got out of bed. Come here, you got to see this. And we went out and we just kind of looked up and went, wow. And then I said, Cooper, come here. That's my dog. Cooper! Couldn't be bothered. Looked up. What? What am I looking at? He didn't care. Yeah, he didn't. There was no awe. There was no marvel in my dog. When there was a beautiful sky. Like, I remember, that, remember that commercial with the polar bears drinking Coca-Cola for the Northern Lights? They don't do that. Well, they don't drink Coca-Cola, first of all. Well, they might, if, if offered. But one thing they don't do is they don't marvel at the northern lights. I've seen grizzly bears in the mountains. I've never, seen, I've never once seen a grizzly bear doing what a human does at the base of a majestic mountain, sitting there and just looking at it and marveling at it. They just, they're just surviving. Oblivious to the beauty of God and what He's made. God didn't make them for that, but God designed you differently. To behold His glory in what He has made. See, we're not just channels for God's glory the way that animals are, the way that mountains are, the way that stars are. We are recipients. We are receivers of that glory. We alone have the capacity for that beauty. We better not waste it because the mountains aren't going to do it and my dog ain't going to do it. That's our job. That's what we were made for. All of our senses are made by God to experience His glory. And it would, be, it, it would, it would suck to be blind. Some of you, maybe either you're blind or you've got diminished eyesight. It's got to be really hard. But you know, like, this beauty isn't just about what we see with our eyes. It's about all of our senses. God made our senses to experience the glory in what He has made. That's sight, that's taste. I love steak, and when I eat it, I don't want to eat it too fast. Mm, I want to savor it because it tastes good. My dog loves beef too. In fact, that's his favorite word. Cooper, beef. doesn't matter what he's doing, where he is. You just hear him running. <laughs> beef. He knows what that means. And I'm always amazed. He loves it, and he doesn't taste it. Really. I'll take a piece of steak, and I'm sacrificing, really, because I love my dog. And I'm like, you didn't even chew it. You literally just swallowed it, and now you want more. You ever notice that? Like, your dog does not savor, even the things that they find enjoyable, does not savor it. The way that you and I savor sights, savor tastes, savor sounds. That's why we all pay money and put on nice clothes to sit in front of an orchestra and hear all these beautiful sounds come together. It's because that's the way God has designed us. It's to experience the beauty of His character through what He has made. A few years ago, Eric and I went to uh, the Grand Canyon. You ever been to the Grand Canyon? That's cool. It's amazing. I came from Medicine Hat, Alberta. We had coolies. Have you seen a coolie? About 28 feet deep. And um, remember just driving up, and it's flat. 
you don't even know you're coming to a canyon. It's like, what? This, this place is flat as a pancake, and all of a sudden you just hit the rim. Boom. And the whole thing is before you, and it's absolutely incredible. And uh, my parents, they knew we were going there, so they gifted Erica and I um, a mule ride along the rim. Because they like to give experiences as gifts, which, you know, which I love. And so we, we showed up to the stables to get, you know, for this mule tour along the rim. And um, I was like the youngest man there. It was like children and women and older people. And, and so they said to me, could we give the ornery horse to the young men? So they gave me the ornery horse. And so, which made me a little nervous. I've never been on a horse before. So we're riding on this thing, and then, and then we stop, and then, okay, this direction. We all face the canyon, and we're just a few. We're from here to that front row, right? We're all fa- and we just kind of sit there, and he's talking, and we're just kind of watching. And then my horse decided it wanted to eat something that was growing out underneath the edge of the canyon coming up like this. <laughs> and it's moving forward, and I'm yanking on the reins of this thing, and it's going for it. It actually goes, and its head is over the edge, it's chomping on the leaves of this thing, and I'm sitting like this, wishing that I had brought a pair of Depends because <laughs> I could have used them. And um, anyway, it's a, it's a, I survived, I did it, it was okay. Um, but you know, I thought afterwards, this mule, he, he has no idea where he is. He has no idea how amazing it is that, he, that's, that before him stands this incredible thing. He's just more interested in the leaf. Or, or, or maybe it's just so familiar that he doesn't see it anymore. You know, it's kind of mundane. You know that proverb, familiarity breeds contempt, which is why that thing that attracted to you, so that, that cute little thing your husband did, you just hate now, right? Like my Scottish accent. My, my wife used to love my Scottish accent. I'd woo her in my Scottish accent. And apparently now I should stop. It worked at the beginning. Um, familiarity breeds not just contempt, but blindness, right? Concealment. We can stop seeing something that we just see often, and we see the sky a lot. We can see the sky so much, we just don't see it anymore. We can see the forest so much, we don't see it anymore. We can see the mountain so much, we just don't see it anymore. David here in Psalm 19, he talked about how creation never stops speaking. Verse 2, day after day, they, that is the sky, the stars, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. It never stops. You can burn books, you can censor the internet, you cannot turn off the stars, even in North Korea. Day after day, night after night, it speaks It doesn't just trickle, it pours, okay? The word is it pours. In other words, creation is God shouting, shouting himself at us. It pours forth speech of God's glory. And I wonder how often we just tune it out. We just don't even listen or look anymore. David, at the very end of the psalm, he uses the word meditation. He says, may these words of my heart and this uh, 
words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. That word meditation, that doesn't mean cross your legs, go mmm, clear your head. That's not what that is. The word meditation in the Bible is the word for chewing, like a, like a cow that chews its cud. Maybe it swallows it a bit and then it brings it back up and it chews a bit more. Swallows it, brings it up and chews a bit more. Um, that's, that's meditating. It's, it's, it's not just like the dog eating, swallowing, it's done. It's, it's savoring. It's chewing. It's reflecting. It's really looking. It's listening. And he says what he's doing here, what he's doing when he looks up at the sky and, and when he's in nature is he's meditating. He's savoring God in what God has made. And you have to choose to meditate. Right? You have to be intentional. You have to tell yourself, again, just to stop and to listen and to meditate and to commune with God and to worship Him in what He has made. Because encountering God in His creation should lead us to worship Him and thank Him and seek Him. Because creation never stops speaking, and as David says, its speech goes out to all the earth. Isn't that what he says? Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. What he's saying there is everybody hears it. What they do with it is another matter. Everybody hears it. Creation speaks God's glory to every person. Like if you go back to, to Romans chapter 1, Let's read verses 18 to 20 again. You know, these are heavy words, serious words. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He says, you, you will never meet somebody who has not met God. Maybe they do not believe in Him. Maybe they don't believe He exists. But you will not, you'll never meet anyone who has not heard from Him. What Paul isn't saying here is that all one needs to know, God, uh, you know, in order to know God sufficiently is creation. Okay? Like, I've met guys where it's like, I don't need the church. I don't Creation's my church. I meet God in the canoe. That's great. Meet God in the canoe. Experience God around the campfire. But if you think that there isn't more revelation that God wants to give you other than what He can give you in the canoe and around the campfire, then that's your loss. He's, Paul isn't saying if people would just study the stars and look at the, the chipmunks long enough, they would really know God and they would be Christians. No, that's not really what he means. I think to understand what he's saying when he says that God has made himself plain to all people through what he has made is, it's kind of what he says back in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. He's talking to the Greeks, all these people that philosophers, adherents to kind of Greek religion. Um, he's talking in the, in, the, in the public square in Athens. 
It says in verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting in the, their Areopagus, that's kind of their meeting debate square. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The Lord, or the, the God who made the, the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, he, he Himself gives life and breath and everything else. From one man He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would, what? Is it up there? Oh, sorry. If you want to go to Acts chapter, do I have it up there? Acts chapter 17. Go to the very last slide of that. God did this so that they would seek Him. Seek Him. And perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. Though He is not far from any of us. What He's saying there is creation is from God's signposts that should cause one to seek after, to know better the one who maybe made all of this. So seeing God's glory in creation uh, isn't enough. It can't save a person. It doesn't tell us everything about God. That's why David doesn't finish his psalm there. That's why he continues. That's what we're going to look at next week. But God's glory in creation are like the breadcrumbs that God has left that should cause people, that will cause people to do one or two things, they will either seek or they will suppress. They will seek, or like Paul said back in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, suppress, as some do, suppress the truth of God because they have some inkling of what they experience, but whether consciously or kind of unconsciously, they suppress that. And what do they do instead? Well, if you see Romans 1, if you continue, verses 21... It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Right? What did they do? Instead of worshiping the Creator God, they made little figurines and they worshiped these figurines. Why? And, and they, made the, they made them like humans. What they're saying is that there, there's this propensity to try to pacify, to try to control God by, by, by putting me in this little thing so that you could control this thing. It, it's, it's a way of reversing it, right? It's God doesn't control me. God doesn't have authority over me. I control God, and I have authority over God. And he says, people have suppressed what God has revealed in the world, and instead they have... They have turned and tried to deify creation, worship or revere the created things instead of the creator. And I know you don't do that, right? Because you don't have little figurines at, at home that you worship, right? But there, there are different ways that people do this today, right? There's, there's at least a couple. New Age spirituality, right? That wants to deify the earth, Mother Earth. 
Um, you see it a lot of the movies, a lot of, it's very common today, this idea like there's some sort of life force in the earth itself, and it's Mother Earth, and if you watch the movie Avatar, there's a tree, and it glows, and you go and you hook yourself to the tree, and it gives you life, and it transforms you, and it's all contained within the created things, it's all contained within the earth, right? And, and, and so all the power that you need is contained within, you know, you go to Sedona, apparently intelligent, you know, highly educated people trying to find something in crystals, that the Creator has made, crystals. I remember I was, I, went, I was in an activist stage of life. It was back in, uh, what, 2002? I went to Quebec City with a bus full of uh, University of Winnipeg students to some big protest, free trade area of the Americas. I got rub, you know, rubber bullets, tear gas. It was, it was a lot of fun. But um, I, I remember seeing this priest. I don't know what kind of... Christian priest it was, but it was, a, it was a guy with a collar, and he was rallying the troops. Put, put your feet on the ground. Just bring in the energy of the earth. Harness the energy of the earth. I, mean, I just wanted to rip that collar off his neck and slap him across the face. Who are you? Horoscopes, zod- it's all these ways of trying to find meaning and purpose and direction from the created things, from the movement of the stars instead of the God who made the stars. Right? So this is, it's, it's, it's incredibly common today as it was back then. And, and there's another way that almost appears to be the opposite of that, but re- which really is no different. It's still kind of a form of earth worship, and it's, I don't know if you want to call it scientism, Scienticism, I don't know, I just made that word up. You know, people that, all there is is material. We're not those that believe in the supernatural, that's silly. Uh, well, who made it all? I don't know, we'll figure it out someday. I don't know, I'm sure there's ant. they'll come. Um, all there is is nature, all there is is the laws of nature. And, and how do we find meaning and purpose in life? Well, our job is to kind of know and to harness the, the laws of science. And if we do that, that, we will better ourselves. We will save ourselves. We will give for ourselves meaning and purpose. And we will find that, find that in the laws of science, the universe. It really, really, it, it's really no different. It's just scientism. It's trying to find in the created things what we were created to find in the Creator. And don't get me wrong, we as Christians are called to be good stewards of creation, but we are not called to worship or revere creation. It's not true that creation doesn't matter. It does. God has given us the job, those made in His likeness, to steward it, not to domineer it, to steward it. But it's also not true that creation ultimately matters. It leads us to know God. Why might people suppress the knowledge of God in creation? I don't know. If there's a God, then I guess there's one we're accountable to, right? If there's a a personal God that has a will, then I guess my will has to be submitted to His will. God reveals His glory in creation, not so much to answer all the questions about who He is, but really to raise, raise the questions so that we would seek after Him. And as Jesus says, if you seek, you will find. If you ask, you will receive. To those who knock, the door will be opened. Again, creation isn't there to answer all the questions about God, but it is there to raise a whole bunch of good questions that if we seek after God, we will find answers to. In God's fuller revelation of Himself, 
which we're going to talk a bit about more next week. Because God just doesn't want His glory to be known as our Creator. He wants His glory to be known as our Redeemer. He wants us to know Him better than the stars could ever describe Him. He wants to be known, and so He sends His Son. Let me read these verses as we prepare ourselves to come to this table before me together. Hear, hear these words from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and onward. It's going to talk a lot about Jesus, the Son, He, and I'm, I'm just going to put in the name Jesus just to make it clear kind of what, who it's referring to. Listen. For God, for He, that is God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, that's Jesus, in whom we, that's us, have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. In Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood." shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who actually created all things by His divine power and sustains, holds them all together, even right now. All those quarks held together right now by the power and the love of Jesus Christ for His creation. That same God, that same Jesus who created, who commands creation, Paul says here, cares so deeply about you and me that He came. He actually came into His creation, right? Jesus came and He took on flesh so that He could crawl upon the cross and He could die so that we could live. He could satisfy our debt, the debt of our sin to God so that we might be reconciled and have a restored relationship with our Creator so that our Creator would not just be Creator but would, we would know Him as our Redeemer. The God who made it all, who, who sees what happens in the furthest recesses of the universe, came. And he died on the cross 
for you. So that you might be reconciled to God, it says. And if you know that reconciliation in your own life, this, this is where your heart should feel stirred. I don't know if you feel it. Isn't that amazing? The, the God who sustains the whole universe, do you think He has the power to sustain your life? I don't know what you're going through, but do you think the God that made you wise, Scooty? I almost wanted to do a rap. I had to hold myself back. The God who holds that together cares about you? Do you think He can hold your life together? Do you think He's trustworthy? As proof of that, He sends His Son so that we might know that we are seen, we are loved, we can be forgiven. God wants us to have fellowship with Him, to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from death, to have the life He created us to have, a life we receive through faith in Jesus. That's worthy of celebration. And if you, if you have never repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your life to Him, you can do that today, and you ought to do that today. And if you want, if you want to know what that means and how you can do that, please, please afterwards, there's, there's a, a prayer team in, we have available, or you could speak with any of us pastors. We're going to come to this table now where we're going to celebrate in, um, in communion uh, the love of God um, who gave Himself for us to be our Redeemer so that we might behold His glory, the glory in the gospel. So we're going to do that. And then can I, as we go from here, I just want to encourage you, ask you, what would it look like for you to savor God's glory in creation? How can you do that? Families, maybe kids, maybe you don't have kids. I encourage you around the lunch table to talk together about where you see God, how you see God in the world He has made. Talk about that. And, and as you do, I don't know if you're like me, you, and then David, you may find your affections for God stirred. You might find your trust in Him and your love for Him deepened. So as we go from here, let's be those people who see God's glory in what He has made and who worship Him appropriately for that. As we come to this table, I'll invite the, the service to come join me and the worship team here as well. And um, let's pray together before we partake of this. God, we can't even fathom um, the greatness of your power. It's, it's beyond the limitations of our mind that you might have just spoke just because you willed it and all that's here billions of light years, it's there because you just did it. And, 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 and that you created us to, 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 to see your glory in that. Lord, we're so small, we're so insignificant, our lives are so short, and yet it's amazing that you care for us. You want us to know you. You made us to know you. Not, to, not just for a short time to get a taste of you and then to be no more, but you made us to have fellowship with you forever. And so, God, as, as we marvel at the greatness of your power revealed in creation, we marvel at the greatness of your love revealed in the gospel. 
shown in your son Jesus, who came and took on flesh, the creator of the universe, willing to be mocked and spat on and beaten and unseen and crucified and die so that we might have some sense of how great your love is for the world, of how much you want us to know you, what you are willing to do. And so, God, we just thank you as those who do know you and know this love. We just thank you that you are that way and that we can know your love and we can know your glory as our Redeemer. And that just makes all the difference every day in every way. Lord, just help us, even as we take this bread and this cup again, just to to savor that as as the bread is being passed and we just have time to reflect, Lord, just help us to savor on your glory in redemption. And when we leave here to go back into this world you have made, and maybe we're camping next weekend, I don't know, but help us to savor your glory in the world that you have made as well. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.